Hey everybody, before we get into the podcast, just want to let you know about our sponsor. It's a movie called Sir John A. and the Curse of the Antiquench. It's a film that stars John Dunsworth from Trailer Park Boys, Spenny from Kenny vs. Spenny, and The Deaner from uh, FUBAR. Uh, you can check it out on iTunes, Amazon, or wherever you get your movies. Are you telling me that you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Welcome to the Raiders of the Lost Commentary Podcast. Welcome to Jurassic Park. The unofficial commentary for your favorite... And not so favorite films. The famous comedian Arnold Braunschweiger. Starring your hosts, Adam and Matt. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Start your movie in three, two, one. All right, everybody. Uh, today on the podcast, we uh, have a uh, special guest. We have uh, filmmaker Jed Bryan. And uh, we're watching his film, Unlisted Owner. Jed, how are you? Doing great, man. How about yourself? Decent. So uh, why don't you uh, just let uh, the audience know a little bit about yourself and uh, a little about the f- a little bit about the film? <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, my debut film. Uh, I've done a few little projects here and there, but uh, this was the one I, me and my friends, uh, decided we were going to make a movie and kind of went all in. And uh, the film is called Unlisted Owner. It's a feature-length found footage horror film. It basically has uh, compiled evidence of a group of friends who hear about a family of five that is murdered in a house about a mile away from where they're camping at. And through a series of uh, bad decision-making and terrible ideas, they end up back at the house where this family of five has been murdered and break in and investigate for themselves pretty much. Uh, and uh, not only is the uh, group of friends footage compiled evidence, but also the original family of five. There's a little scene at the beginning, as you're seeing, uh, that is also in the evidence. And then there's also a police dash cam uh, interrogation video and a new family who moves into the house after this family uh, is brutally murdered. Nice. So uh, do you uh, like work in the business or like what's your background in film or like how like what made you want to make a movie or did you make shorts before this or... Um, this is actually the uh, third thing I've ever shot. Uh, the first thing we did, uh, I had a script I'd written called Meth House that uh, I had a script for, and I just didn't have the funding really to, to make it. And Story of our lives, right? Before, so, <laughs> yeah, so I decided to make like a little teaser trailer thing, and you can actually check it out on YouTube right now. And that was the first little thing I'd ever shot. And then... Uh, the next thing, we decided to try to do a GoDaddy commercial contest, and we ended up getting uh, eighth out of 539 videos, I think it was. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, I was pretty pleased with that. So then after that, I decided, hey, you know, why don't we try to make a film? So me and my friend Tyler, uh, he said he wanted to help write a script with me, so we kind of wrote, I had the idea and the outline for Unlisted Owner, he wrote a little bit of it with me. And I basically kind of wrote the script around the uh, the means that we had to be able to uh, create a movie. So um, that's kind of how the whole process started. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, like uh, I'll have you maybe go back into like a little bit more of like writing and pre-production and whatnot. But uh, what are uh, some of like your horror influences, if if any? Oh, I'm a, I'm a huge horror fan. I mean, ever since I was a kid, my parents used to take me and my brother to the haunted houses, and uh, we used to. Uh, uh, my mom had bought me a VHS of House on Haunted Hill. Uh, the I snuck downstairs when I was a kid and watched the Puppet Master movies. But uh, probably my my favorite all time horror film is uh, Lon Chaney's uh, Family of the Opera. And he's oh, also nice. My, 
yeah, he's also my favorite actor uh, to me. If it wasn't for Cheney, horror would not be what it is today. And, I mean, his innovation as far as makeup skills and uh, just overall acting really influenced what horror is today. And, it's uh, it's true though. Like like that influence of of that <laughs> era of horror it like informed everything. Like everything is just trying to do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean his I mean his stuff is just so amazing. And actually I, I kinda wish I lived a little bit closer to Chicago in a way, at least for this coming weekend, or I guess it's the next weekend. Uh I think some outfit up in Chicago are actually gonna be showing uh Fan of the Opera, Nosferatu, uh, Lon Chaney's The Penalty and I think maybe the Unholy Three that's a Lon Chaney film. And they're actually going to have an organist there actually playing the music. So when you're watching the film, oh, this that's is actually, awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I would like love to do this, see that, but I'm not going to be able to make it, unfortunately, to that. Yeah. I love Like, that's like, <clears throat> I don't know, like, where you're from, but like, art house theaters are starting to like do stuff like that a lot more with like shadow casts and or like live music for at least like a Rocky Horror. Like, it's really popular around here, like Rocky Horror with a live. Audi- like uh, not audience a live uh, cast acting along with it but i don't know i think it's like stuff like that's fun to see you know just gets people oh, yeah. more interested in it in these small art house theaters you know yeah it's a unique experience for sure um so going back into just kind of writing the film like what was some inspiration behind it like was, was it just like a whim of an idea or is it was it something like uh i don't know you were inspired by something that happened or well, uh, we were thinking about low budget because we knew, you know, I was going to fund this thing myself and I knew I was going to use my friends as my actors and stuff because I knew they'd be reliable and actually show up and stuff. So I kind of like wrote the uh, dialogue around like different ways, different mannerisms they do, not necessarily their personalities like Tyler and Gavin who are in the movie are actually two of my best friends. They sit up with me at my wedding, but in the movie they play complete douchebags that are trying to drag down the time and try to make me and Griffin's girlfriends break up with us by doing all kinds of insane pranks and jokes and stuff. But um, as far as like the uh, overall concept of found footage, you know, I kind of looked at, you know, Blair Witch Project, Grave Encounters, uh, Paranormal Activity is kind of inspiration. But, you know, there's not that many found footage slasher style films. And that's kind of like what we wanted to go to. It seems like all, you know, most you know, found footage films are either like Bigfoot or Paranormal or something yeah. like that. And we wanted to kind of go a different route. And also we wanted to make the film look like, you know, this is actually a group of friends. This is kind of what their day, you know, how it flows. I just got a new video camera, so I'm filming all kinds of stuff, testing it out. My friends are, you know, busting my balls about it and stuff. And that's just kind of like the overall concept of it just kind of came from. Yeah. That's one thing I noticed when, when I watched the film, like the, like your friends, I guess the actors, they, they felt real. Like they felt like, they felt like dudes I went to high school with or dudes I I knew. So that like, I think you hit the mark well on, on things like that. Like, "Ah, I know these guys kind of thing, you know? Well, thank you. Yeah. And this is, and the cool thing is, is, uh, I mean, Gavin had acted in my previous two little projects I'd done, but prior to that, he had no acting experience in the same way with Tyler. I mean, no acting experience. So, I mean, everyone was really green at this and I couldn't be more proud with the end result that we ended up with. Yeah. So like, did you have them do rehearsals or like what was the prep involved with stuff like that? Cause like, this is uh, kind of like a one take shot, like we're watching now. 
Yeah, what we uh, what we would do is uh, before we actually after I got the script finalized, uh, we actually went over to Tyler's house. This is actually where we're at. It's Tyler's house where he was living at at the time, and uh, thus the main cast, uh, us group of friends, we just sat around and we just kind of read through the whole script. And I mean, I was really lenient with my friends to be able to say, you know, like, I don't think my character would say it this way or, you know, can we change this around or change this word, you know? Yeah, it's important, eh? Yeah, yeah, to kind of make it more comfortable because, you know, whenever you're an indie director, especially, I mean, you have a vision in your head, but you got to let loose of some of that creative control to be able to come out with a good overall product. Yeah, it, it, it's well. it's a collaboration, right? Like this is a collaboration business. Yeah, um, yeah. You don't you don't want your actors to seem uncomfortable with the dialogue they're speaking because as soon as you do that, that just kind of pulls the audience out and makes them realize, oh yeah, this is not something that's real. This yeah, is yeah. Especially with a found footage movie mm-hmm. where you're trying to make yep. it seem like something candid. I've noticed like just in my own experience, like like a, a medium actor with decent dialogue, they'll do well with it. A bad actor with bad bad dialogue will do bad, or with good dialogue will do bad with it. But like a really good actor, like the times you get to like work with those gems, they'll turn fucking garbage into like they'll like read the phone book Gold. and it'll yeah, it'll sound good. Um, yeah, so like I, again, just I, I just want to kind of go back and just point out some stuff. But like a really long take like that like the the rehearsal, like how much rehearsal, how many takes did you have to do? Because like there's a lot of coordination, like. Um, things like that get overlooked about found footage movies. Um, you know, it, it like it, it's people think it's like kind of amateur or whatnot, but like there's a lot of stuff going on in that previous scene, like with coordination of like cars showing up and people having to deliver dialogue and cameras and people having to hit their marks. I don't know if you go on to talk about a bit about that, like the blocking of it, of all, of all that. Oh yeah. The, the actually the, the previous scene where the, the cars were pulling in and stuff, that was actually our first scene that we actually shot. And, uh, Gavin, Tyler and I had actually rehearsed that first opening scene, like over and over and over on the way back from Evansville, Indiana, when we got our costumes for the movie. And so we had that part kind of down, but the, uh, the Griffin and Heidi part, it was kind of, it was kind of hard to time the car coming up and kind of make it not seem as awkward as us standing around, especially it was the first scene. But, uh, the scene right here with the police cars and the ambulances, this was a very stressful scene because we had extras and stuff like that. And, you know, especially whenever you're directing and you're acting and, you know, you're having to tell people what to do and also concentrate on your group of actors and stuff. I mean, it gets kind of stressful and kind yeah. of nerve wracking. You lose your like, hairline a bit, probably. Yeah, I know yeah, I've, yeah. that's happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're just like trying to make sure everything goes right, especially whenever you have police cars and ambulances. And like right now, you know, they're, they're you know, they pull the body out of the house and you just got to make sure everything goes great, which, you know, I didn't have to worry so much about them carrying the body out because everybody in this scene or all first responders uh those are actual firefighters those are actual emts and that's an actual police officer yeah so i, I wanted to ask about that because that is kind of a big production value thing for an, an indie flick to have you know this type of stuff in the film so i don't know if you want to talk about how you guys got that and like how that was kind of set it up yeah actually uh this was shot in my hometown of sumner illinois and i'm a volunteer firefighter there so oh. uh, I've, i so i was able to have access to police and ambulance and stuff and then uh, my mom's friends with the coroner so i was able to have access to a body bag 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have those connections and just go ask, especially whenever you're in a small town setting. I mean, most of the time these like departments will, you know, you give them a $50 donation or, you know, just even ask them and, you know, just gives them a chance to put on their gear and go out and, you know, and, and I mean, that's technically practice, you know, carrying a body out of a house or someone on a gurney. So oh, it's, it's an interesting spin there. I like your, your spin. It's technically practice for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, uh, I don't know if you've read uh, Robert Rodriguez is uh, Rebel Without a Crew, but that was one of the things he talked about. Like when you're making something, just like write what you have kind of thing so like i guess you being volunteer firefighter you know you have that at your disposable knowing you can add that in and then that's kind of a big production value thing too right like that that's something that stood out to me when i when i watched it the first time that like that's kind of hard to fake like you can't just like call the fire department you know and be like okay there's no emergency but we have a proposition for you (laughs) right yeah i mean and and that's one thing, you know, I get asked that a lot about, you know, how do I have the police and how do I get the ambulance and stuff in it? And, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm a volunteer firefighter, but, you know, if someone else would have came that, you know, no, that we didn't necessarily know and we knew that they were going to put on a film, I mean, we'd be more than happy to help out and, you know, just kind of, you know, help the community out in a way. Because, I mean, that's what you're doing anyways when you're a volunteer firefighter, uh, you know, or emt or anything like that you're you're there to help your community and you know this movie you know kind of helps bring attention to the community so all right that's that's good um do you want to talk about the house the uh the uh yeah so is that like somebody's house is it your house no it's, it's not my house uh actually but ever since i was a kid it's actually called the heineman mansion um and when i was a kid i was just fascinated with it. i thought it was such a kind of a kind of creepy vibe to it and uh, it, it's, it was vacant for several years, so I, whenever we wrote the script, I was like, this would be the perfect house. So I contacted the guy who owned it at the time, and he said, yeah, sure. So we ended up had full access to the house. I mean, it worked out great. Someone's living in it currently. but uh, Yeah, it's a, but it's a gorgeous time, house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was, it's an amazing house for sure. I mean, it's such a huge house too. I mean, the perfect house for a horror film for sure. Yeah, eh? Um, so that's, that's like another thing, like just setting up those small things. Was this like when you were writing, doing pre-production, you were lining all these things up? Like, I don't know, did you run into any like hurdles, like going through, like, was there stuff that you wanted but couldn't get, or do you want to talk a bit about? Uh, we actually, yeah, uh, actually in the film, there's, uh, two scenes that uh, I'd written in the script. And I was like, well, I don't know how it's going to quite work. I mean, I, I kind of had an idea, but uh, the house actually didn't have an attic space in it. So that scene that comes up is actually a set we had built to uh, mimic. It was an exact replica of the room in the same way. There's a scene where the ceiling cracks and there's some blood that comes through it. That was actually done on a set as well. And we use a series of whip transitions or blend edits or jerk edits or whatever you want to call them to make it look like it was still in the house. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, we, uh, you, you never, you don't really notice it. And like, that's one of the tricks you got to use sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And actually we, we do that, uh, blend edit or whip transition quite a bit in the film. Uh, they're like the, the road trip scene seems like, uh, it's later on the film. It seems like it takes a decent period of time. And, uh, it seems like it's just one continuous take, but it's actually not. There's actually one, uh, 
there's actually an edit in there where there's three months difference from when we were in the vehicle to out of the vehicle. Really? Because we had, a, we had a, yeah, we had a mistake come up, uh, the, uh, where Gavin had taken the keys out of the vehicle and, um, well, that night the actors had gotten cold, so and it was just me leaving the vehicle, and the actors were in it. So I told them to start it up, but just leave the lights off, not realizing the sound was going to sound different from inside the out to outside. Because when you're shooting a found footage film, you don't have usually have someone running around with a boom mic unless it's like Cloverfield or something like that. Right. But uh, so everything you get is recorded on the actual camera. So it went from vehicle not running to all of a sudden I step outside and the vehicle is magically running. Oh. so and it didn't start up which is pretty amazing but um so whenever we found that in the editor we had to wait a couple of months to be able to get gavin and tyler back together because their lives had taken them different directions so but we finally got them together and was able to shoot that scene so it kind of delayed the production a little bit so that's fucking stressful eh <laughs> yeah a little bit a little bit yeah. you didn't uh like did you, you did you just like run like a mic off the camera or did you put laughs on anybody to, to grab audio nope. that way or nope we just we just we wanted to make it as real as possible and just kind of took a chance with it and just said you know we'll just see how it turns out and you know i I, we tested the cameras beforehand to kind of judge you know how far away you needed to be and i was constantly concentrating on that and i also had a a digital transmitter on the camera i had an assistant director uh his name's brent and uh, especially in the house scenes uh we would be caught in when we shot inside the house we'd constantly be moving our like kind of like our home base from room to room depending on where we were shooting but he would be watching what i would be what i would be filming and uh, he would tell me you know everything looked good or you know it kind of came out of focus here why don't you try that again or oh it was so cool when you focus on that why don't you do that again on the next take or you know focus on it a little longer so i had another set of eyes besides just looking through this little viewfinder which really helped yeah you always need that because sometimes you're like worrying about framing or you're like thinking about whatever the somebody's performance or yeah. you need somebody to just be like yeah maybe maybe do that one one more time or you know or we got it kind of thing yeah, it's always good to have an extra set of eyes to kind of help, you know, your vision come true. And, you know, sometimes you're like, well, you know, this is what I'm thinking. And they turn around and say, well, why if you do this? And you're like, holy crap, why didn't I think of that? You know? Yeah. And like, like to speak to what you were saying earlier, just like you have to let go of your ego to, you know, realize, OK, whatever. It's a collaborative medium. We got to like just do what's best for the film. Yep, that's right. Um, let me just like scroll through back through some of my notes. I want to backtrack a bit to some of the pre-production. So doing pre-production and, and all that, like you said, it was like self-funded and, and whatnot. I don't, I don't want, you don't have to talk about specifically about budget, but just like, if you want to just talk a bit about like, you know, maybe some of the hurdles when it went to come down to like, you know, paying for the film or how that went about. Cause I know personally, like myself having self-funded pretty well, all my own projects, like applying for grants here, it, it's kind of, uh, it kind of sucks and, uh, anything like trying to find funding, it is tough or doing Kickstarter campaigns, you know, like some people get Mm. lucky with stuff, but then, you know, other people, it is kind of tough to get people motivated to donate to stuff sometimes. So, um, and on the, like the indie scale, you know, like funding and distribution, it's like the two mysteries to to people sometimes. So I don't know if you want to talk a bit about that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I have, the how I was able to fund this thing was pretty much I I was living at home and I was single at the time so I mean it, it worked out kind of 
kind of great that way. Just rolling and in so, money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now I'm married and have a little guy now, so oh. money kind of gets funneled funneled other directions. Right. So yeah. Since we started on this project. But uh, that was part of the main way I was able to do it. Plus, you know, I didn't have to pay my actors because they were my friends. And, you know, we uh, they were just willing to help and everything. And so, I mean, I, I saved money, cut corners, other you know, other ways. And, you know, you can also write it into where, like, you know, if the film makes X amount of money, they get a cut or, you know, stuff like that to kind of help out along the way. But uh, most of my um, the actual funding with the film came, like, in post, you know, to be able to, because uh, I went out to the American film market to try to get a distribution deal for the film, and uh, there was a whole bunch of hurdles that I had to jump through to be able to get the film out there uh, for people to be able to see it on Amazon and through uh, Best Buy, Barnes & Noble, FYE, stuff like that. Yeah, so, like, uh, we'll jump ahead a bit there and talk about distribution, but, uh, so, like, what route, like, you went to the AFM and, uh, like, shopped it to, like, some aggregate aggregators, or, uh... I actually have signed with a distribution company, uh, Tomcat Films, Summerhill Films, out of Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Um, if, if uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the American film market or not, but, uh, basically oh, definitely, yeah. go... Okay, so you, so you've been there before, where it's like I've never been, the, but like we've uh, researched a lot. There's like a couple equivalents up here in Canada for for different stuff, but yeah, uh, yeah like uh, we uh, researched it a bit, and so like some of the previous projects I've done, like the our distribution people uh, have have gone down there for it. But yeah, distribution gets a little like there's some weird squirrely stuff with like our government CRTC stuff up here in Canada. But yeah, anyways, but yeah, talk yeah. about <laughs> that, uh, your distribution. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah. So we went out to the American film market and stuff because we weren't having much luck in the, uh, the film festival route. And, um, so when we went out there, we showed it three times and, uh, we met with several different distribution companies and stuff and then, uh, sent out screeners to everybody. And for people who are not familiar with the American film market, they basically take the, uh, the Lowe's hotel and they take all the furniture out of all the hotel rooms. And basically they have, have it to where you can either have like a, um, can't remember what the exactly it's called but you can have a full room to where you know you have a the whole room to yourself where you can have a mini booth which is what i did where it's split and you have half the room and another production company has the other half and i was roomed up with the mountain park media which they were derek was an awesome guy to be a, a booth mate with but uh and then they give you like a client list of like all these different distribution companies and you're just, you know, like months before AFM, you're just sitting there emailing all these different people, you know, and and one key thing for indie filmmakers is if you do go to AFM and they give you that list, do not send out generic mass emails because you will not get a response. Make sure each one, you try to research each company and say, okay, yeah, this company has a film like mine and that's one of the main things I did was go down and say, okay, this, this company has horror films or this one even has a found footage horror film and then put that in your email to say look you know i have this film that's like this you know it's like this one that you actually represent and you know you might have a better shot of getting picked up that way yeah the personalization goes a long way in in anything in this business when it comes down to like distribution or just like casting if you're trying to get a hold of people like earlier off off air we were talking about uh, a friend of yours casting people but like mm -hmm. yeah like you, you personalizing stuff goes a really really long way um yeah it does 
Also a little trick, a dirty trick I found too, if you're trying to get people uh, like a, like a attention, if you're trying to just like make sure it gets in front of somebody, you put RE capitalized in the subject line. So they think it's forwarded to them by like a secretary or something like that. I've gotten more <laughs> responses that way from like actors or agents and stuff like that. It's a dirty trick, but that's ingenious. Uh, yeah, it, it works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, so you go down to AFM and, uh, you, uh, shop it there and then do you sign a deal there or it was, did it happen like months after? I actually had one company who was wanting me to sign there and I, and, and that's another thing too. I mean, it, I mean, we were on a drought, you know, we weren't getting into the film festivals. I think we had a year where we weren't getting accepted and, you know, we got one offer and I was like, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to wait. So after AFM, usually most of these people, you know, I mean, I had some like like little like DVDs that had different scenes from the film instead of actually a screener DVD. I just want to have some examples and, you know, have some information to give people. And a lot of people wouldn't even take it because they said they get so much junk anyways. They're not going to, you know, they're just going to probably throw most of the stuff they get away. So just send them a screener after a few months after AFM, they usually say about wait two months. So I waited two months and screeners out to all the different people who were interested. And then I've had three that were extremely interested and then got an entertainment lawyer and figured out which one was the best deal. And then uh, signed with uh, Summerhill Tomcat films. Right. Did you look into a distributor at all or any of those other like online kind of like uh, aggregation companies or? Uh, not really. I just, I wanted to go, I guess I wanted to kind of go to AFM and just kind of see what that whole experience would be like. And, uh, I thought that, uh, Summerhill would be the, the best fit for us and it, it's turned out pretty good so far. Yeah. You're happy with like how things have been going and. Oh yeah. They, uh, they redesigned our poster and I mean, I think it looks pretty, pretty amazing. And I mean, we're on like, uh, you know, we're on Amazon. I mean, we're on all these different, you know, sites and we're actually doing, uh, our third in-store DVD signing, uh, uh, Barnes and Noble. I, I don't think you guys have those in Canada, but uh, it's no. basically, it, it's a bookstore, but they also sell DVDs and stuff. And, uh, we've done this, this coming Saturday will be our third in-store signing so and all of them went awesome so far so we're really looking forward to this third one that's awesome dude so like uh, they set it up and they kind of promote it for you and do you do it with yeah. other other movies or other like nope. horror stuff it's, it's just you just all me yep uh we uh we did one in evansville indiana which is uh the closest barnes and noble to us so they kind of you know build it as you know a local film because you can order the film through their website and select stores have it on their shelf so we went down there and did that one and then we went up to greenwood indiana and did one up there up around indianapolis and then uh we evansville they wanted us to come back in october since the first one went so well and see because we let's see the first one we did in evansville we did in february and we did. We had an awesome turnout. They usually say that booksellers don't even sell like you know, like maybe two or three, maybe four of their books when they do a signing there. And we sold like like nineteen movies in two hours. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, it, it was pretty. It's pretty spectacular. So I'm hoping, like I said, we'll have a a decent turnout at the the one this time too, especially since it's Halloween time. Yeah, that's like it's perfect timing for it, right? Yeah. Um, just want to backtrack a bit again, just talk a bit about film festivals. Like I know you said you've made some other smaller stuff, but like 
It's like what what's been your like experience with film festivals? Like I have a bit of a like I like festivals and like like I've done some I've done well at some festivals, but like I don't know, I've got this like underlying like do we need festivals anymore? Like I, I like I have this I don't know, like there's a part of me that like has a bit of a hate on for them because you gotta pay to like yeah. apply and right. then you you basically are responsible in some scenarios to like kind of pound the pavement, get people to right. come to your screening. Like I, like in smaller markets around here, like I've gone on TV, like a morning shows, like promote it, like radio, and you know you're like doing social media stuff and all this fucking shit. And then like they get the ticket money from that most of the time. Some some festivals will give you a cut if like you have an in with them, but it's like. I don't know. It's just like fucking scam, man. <laughs> well, uh, I've actually never been like we've never gotten anything. Unless known is the only thing I've ever submitted, and we've never been accepted to a film festival. I mean, the film made it. Uh, whenever it first came out on DVD, we made it on the top ten on Amazon's hot new horror release for DVD on just pre-orders alone. And I mean, we're going up against Walking Dead season seven, American Horror Story season six. This was last of uh, September. October and it didn't come out till November and we were on the top horror charts for all that time. That's awesome. I've even submitted I've even submitted to film festivals after that fact. I mean, there's publicity about our film online and stuff, and still not one has accepted the film. And it just like I'm just like in shock. It's like not one thinks it's good enough to be able to be in their format and just kind of you know kind of irks me a little bit it's like you know i got you know top 10 on amazon and like most of these films that these festivals are accepting i mean they're not even on the chart at all you know whenever they come out and it's like well you know whatever i guess but yeah it's strange and like i don't know it's like a bit of a kick in the dick like when you get that like film freeway whatever without a box email like not selected and so mm-hmm. it's usually like a generic thing. Like we tried really hard to get everything in, but yeah. Right. And then I don't know, like I've done some like follow through, like to see what stuff gets in and you're like, ah, I guess like, I don't know. It's a lot of, like hundred yeah. percent politically correct, but like, there's a lot of like check boxes being checked at some of these festivals for just like making, just trying to appease everyone, I think sometimes, but right. well, I don't I'll know. Tell you. I'll tell you a really funny story real quick about uh, the buddy Dakota who made the uh, the film Deadly Crush that uh, we were talking about off air earlier that has uh, William Sadler and uh, uh, Courtney Gaines in it. Um, his film is like an erotic, supernatural-type thriller film about a, a woman who has a sexual encounter with a ghost. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very a great film if, if anyone gets a chance to check it out. And um, he's gotten some. He's I think he won best feature at the uh, uh, film festival. I think it was Pittsburgh. Nice. I can't remember exactly which one it was. And he's gotten some other accolades to it. But he submitted this one. I think he's. I think he told me or said in an interview it was like called uh, Boobs and Gore, and he <laughs> and he and he didn't get in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, yeah, so he's like, he's like, it's kind of weird. I have all the ones I didn't get into that one. So I mean, it's it's I don't know festivals. It is kind of weird, you know. I mean, especially with unlisted owner, like you know, making the top ten on Amazon. And I mean, we do in store signings at Barnes and Noble and stuff. And it's like, I mean, you know, if if we got into a festival, I mean, it'd be a little bit of free press for that festival because we promote the crap out of it. But you know, no one's no one's wanted to take us up on that yet. So it's like, well, whatever, I guess you're lost. You know? Yeah. I, I sort of see it that way too, because like, obviously like 
you didn't need their help and kind of like what festivals used to do back in the day was like kind of help you out and and get the word out but like you know obviously you didn't need that help so it's kind of like better off without it but like the festival experience is fun when like people like your shit you know and you you show Mm -hmm. up and and that and it's nice but like yeah i don't know like i'm getting like a sour taste about it lately like i don't know like a, a short i made got into a few festivals didn't get into a bunch and uh but i don't know just getting like a sour taste lately like what's what's really in it for me like it's bragging rights in a a way but like i don't know it's like you get to put the little fancy laurels on your poster like yeah and 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 one thing that's kind of funny is you know like i'd said before you know like some of the films that got in some of these festivals weren't even on the amazon charts at all or you look them up on amazon and they got like you know like one review on there or two reviews you know and it's like you know or imdb it's only got like one or two ratings and it's like something you know it's, it's just weird how that you know it seems like sometimes like the the festival's taste is not the general public's taste at all mm, i thought yeah that's that's probably it too eh yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right back on to your film um do you want to talk a bit about like the schedule of filming like how many days were you filming like i know you said you went back and did some reshoots but like principal photography like maybe just talk a bit about like how long that took yeah uh, i'd say for two months we shot like every weekend i usually tried to stack it to where it was a uh, day and night uh, scheduling was kind of hard because tyler worked at least one week or one day a weekend and then Andrea worked like every other weekend. So trying to balance them two out is kind of, and that's kind of why, you know, Tyler kind of gets, you know, axed earlier than the rest of us because his schedule was such a pain. <laughs> we knew that coming into it. So that was kind of, kind of like, uh, like built a into thing, it. But yeah. Built into it. You know <laughs> I mean? and, and, and that's something sometimes you got to do that type of stuff. You know, you got to like realize, you know, okay, what actors are not going to be able to be here that much. And, you know, as long as they're not your star or something like that, you know, you can kind of apply that to like, okay, I got this guy. He said he can be here for two days. And, you know, I was kind of wanting for this part, but I think he could probably pull this off and just kind of do like a, you know, run through the lines and just kind of see how it goes. And you might have to switch some people around just to get your scheduling to work. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like the hurdles you got to kind of deal with in, in the business and, like, how can we make it work if, mm-hmm. like, can we film this somewhere else or can this happen somewhere here or there? Or, right. You know, like, and, uh, like, uh, you said, like, your friends are pretty reliable, like, showing mm-hmm. up and, and, oh, yeah. and doing that, which is, like, you're lucky. Like, sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. like, you rely on friends to be, do parts or do things like that, but they're like, ah, you yeah. know, I got to show up for work. I don't want to be here anymore or you know, right. like, what are we really doing? So, um, that's, that's your I guess like in a sense, you're kind of lucky you had, had that, but like, did you have to like rally the troops? Like, was it like, did, was there night long nights where people were kind of like at each other's throats or not really at each other's throats? I mean, there was a couple of nights where, you know, people get a little restless, you know, especially after, you know, take after take of a certain scene or something like that. But for the most part, you know, I mean, these are some of my best friends. So it's like, you know, we're just hanging out and just be like another typical, you know, Saturday night or whatever. But, uh, 
Um, Andrea and Heidi, you know, they were both troopers. Uh, I've known, I knew Andrea for a long time before we actually went into filming this. She actually told me, she goes, if you ever make a movie, I want to be in it. And I said, okay. So I took her up on it. And then Heidi was a friend of Andrea's and she kind of brought her along and Griffin's actually Gavin's brother. So, I mean, we were all pretty well a close net group. So that's but, good. Um, and actually this, yeah, and, th and this road trip scene uh, is one of the uh, the parts where it seems like the, some of the scenes go, I mean, the scene goes on for a while without any, like, hard edits. And that was one of my biggest pet peeves with found footage films is, like, you know, it's filming and then all of a sudden it stops and it, like, jumps to another camera or even jumps, like, five seconds in the future. I mean, it always bugged me. And, like, you know, I think it was the new Blair Witch that came out. I mean, I, I, I liked it, but one of the things I didn't like about it was, you know, it just would jump from camera to camera to camera and you have no clue whose camera it was or you know where you were at or anything like that so uh i wanted to make sure that i could make these scenes seem like really like as long and as realistic as possible and uh so the road trip scene we did a lot of those uh, blend edits or jerk edits and there was actually one from when i was outside the vehicle to getting in the vehicle so yeah and they they kind of go by pretty seamlessly too so like it's it's good like it goes by pretty easily and well, I, know, I know you mean though, but like like a found footage stuff where they it's like they try and put back up the fourth wall, but the idea yeah. of a found footage movie is that the fourth wall is down. Yeah, yeah. This is the point of view. You're looking at the point of view through one of the characters. It is kind of strange. Like I like I don't know any friends that just film all the time. That's one of the things about found footage movies. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. like who the fuck's filming all the time? Yeah, and that's one of the uh, the things that you have to do in your film is try to make it seem like a legit reason, like a security camera. Or in my case, I just got a new camera, so I'm just testing it out, just filming stuff. And that's kind of the premise behind uh, me on Unlisted Owner and then the original family of five and the new family. The reason they're filming is because it's a new house. Yeah. So that's kind of... So you have to, have, especially in found footage, you have to have an, an excuse. And, you know, in, in some ways, found footage is actually difficult to shoot. A lot of people kind of think sometimes, you know, it's a cop-out or whatever to do found footage. But especially when you do effects-driven scenes, I mean, like when we did the uh, the, uh, the attic space scene that will come up later in the film, um, I mean, you, I had to storyboard out the shots so I could know, like, you know, if, if it was like, Say you have someone going through a window in a traditionally shot film. I mean, you can have like t like five different angles of like, okay, he's come up to the window and then show the other side of the window or a below shot. I mean, there's all kinds of different options you have. With found footage, you have one angle and you have to try to figure out what that best angle is to be able to get that shot. Yeah, and how to get to that angle that is believable yes. too. Yes. So, I mean, it, I mean, there is a lot of challenging aspects. I mean, and, you know, and you're walking around with a video camera, so you don't have like a whole crew there. You don't have, you know, like, I mean, we're riding in the vehicle, so print wasn't able to actually see what I was filming. So I had to kind of, you know, put more, you know, effort into like actually straining my eyes and looking at the viewfinder and like kind of cramped up in the back seat holding the camera up just like you know, <laughs> in a very uncomfortable position to make sure I get the shot. Yeah, totally. Um, was it always a decision to, to, to want to do a found footage thing? Like, was there ever a point where you thought maybe I could do this, you know, in a different way or? Uh, I knew that I wouldn't have, I, I knew I was going to have a hard enough time. I mean, I, I knew I had this group of friends to be able to be actors in it. I knew it would be a lot harder for me to have a whole crew, to have someone actually have a boom mic and be able to have, you know, all those aspects that I would need. 
to be able to make a traditionally shot film uh, because where we live uh, is basically kind of the middle of nowhere. I mean, our closest mall is an hour and a half from us. Uh, closest movie theater is about 30 minutes from where I live. So, uh, but we're like two and a half from St. Louis, two and a half from Indianapolis, four from Chicago, a little over three to Nashville. So we're kind of like in the middle of everything, but there's nothing like right there close to where you can have a crew come, you know, drive and then be able to go back home and sleep in their beds. You're probably going to have to get like, uh, yeah, uh, rent a hotel room and stuff like that. And it would get really costly. So yeah. I knew that if I was going to make a film that found footage was going to be the way to go. So I just wrote unlisted owner around the concept of a found footage script from the get go. Okay, and then, then and that's smart because it allows you to just do what you wanted to do, like under the circumstances that you had. Yeah. Um, did you want to like eventually like is found footage like your thing? Do like do you want to like if like your next project? Do you want to do found footage again, or do you want to explore uh, like I, other mediums? Or I want to do traditionally shot. I mean, that's what I've always loved. I mean, I'm a huge classic horror fan of you know like how that shots. I mean, I love found footage. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's not like I just did it just to you know do it. I mean, I like you know I like Blair Witch Project. Grave Encounters is probably my favorite found footage film you know other than my my own you know <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh you know zombie i love and then there's the found footage horror game outlast where you're like walking around with a video camera with night vision and stuff i mean i love that realism and you know that aspect of it but i mean i really all my other scripts previous were all traditionally shot scripts right so uh coming into this one it was like looking at a whole new animal of like how are we going to do this i've never done a found footage i've never shot like handheld like this before so i don't know exactly what or how it's going to end up looking in the end so we did a few tests and stuff and decided yeah we could probably we can pull this off and we got the digital transmitter and everything and it just, i mean it worked out really well nice what did you shoot on just the talk shop a minute just uh well we bought two cameras initially uh, i can't remember exactly what models they were but one was a canon one was a sony uh we shot there's only like two scenes made in the film that we shot with the sony the sony did terrible in low light i mean terrible it goes uh, out kept going out of focus so and i'm like i don't have time i can't sit here and concentrate on this camera the whole time i'm gonna have to be able to be able to move it around and be able to do my lines and make it seem believable so uh, we ended up after the first night of shooting with the Sony, we just kind of used that as uh, me as basically it was the uh, trade-off camera because whenever Griffin has a camera and I have a camera, you know, originally we were going to shoot Griffin on the Sony and me on the Canon, and then we decided, well, we're just going to have to have Griffin use the Canon too. So technically, throughout the film, I haven't had anybody notice it yet, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But uh, I have the same video camera, and so does Griffin sometimes. So. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, whatever. I, I didn't really notice either, but you might just like have coincidentally have the same camera or something. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and then like again, like did you have like a light on it? Like just like is it the light attached to it or? We uh, for some reason. Uh, when we shot this film anyways, I haven't really looked at these type of cameras since then, but, uh, none of them had light, light rigs on them or anything like that. It was just a plain Jane camera, no light or anything. So, uh, we had to basically create a light rig. So we used, uh, two, uh, just regular, you know, flashlights had the yellow bulbs in them, you know, and then we used two little led lights. So the led lights would give us the brightness and then, but they would wash out the color. 
so then we had the uh, the just the regular flashlights to give it that yellow tint to kind of still give it that color so it didn't look like everything was washed out all the time at right. night so it gave it that perfect balance but the worst part was is the stupid LED lights when they came in they had a safety on them that they would only stay on for five minutes and they'd shut off so if you weren't playing <laughs> game, so if you weren't paying yeah, so if you weren't paying close attention, uh, they would go off. And there was actually uh, a scene previous to where the uh, the battery's dying on the camera, which, I mean, it was um, good timing, but the scene kind of goes kind of yellow. And the reason we did that is because one of the lights went out while filming, and the next scene it was still it was bright again. So oh. to, be able to, to be able to counter that, we had to adjust the, to make it look like the, the camera was dying and the, the light was kind of going down too. Uh, yeah, I know like filming with flashlights too, like uh, some of them have like a power save mode. So if they're mm -hmm. on for too long, then the shutter will start looking strange. You know, you get that like strobing effect. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think you had, I don't know if you had that kind of a problem, but it's, nope, it's nope. just with those. Yeah. We used uh Oh, what the heck? I can't even think of the name of the flashlights we use. They're the mag light. That's what we use. Yeah. Um, skipping along now to uh, post. So, like, do you want to talk about editing the film? Like, you get all this footage. You know, are you editing as you're shooting? Like, I know you said you you shot on weekends. Like, are you, you know, Monday? Are you like going in to like get the edit bay and just you know trying to <clears throat> see what you shot and see what you're missing, see how you can improve stuff, or it was it done all in one shot? We, uh, we basically, I mean, I did the daily thing, you know, after we'd shoot, you know, either the next day or whatever, I'd go back and I'd watch everything and stuff, but we didn't actually start piecing everything together until, uh, we actually were finished with the, uh, the friends section we thought, and, um, we put it in the editor and the film was only 50 minutes long and I went, uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I actually had a, uh, in the script, I had a part, I had road trip if needed. So we went back and uh, I added the road trip scene in the film after the fact. Okay. So um, like sort of like just like honing it in. And again, like you're yeah. sort of lucky you have your friends. Yeah. There's, there's the, is that the Sony camera you're talking about? No, that that's actually the, the Canon. That's the, the uh, Canon. Yeah. The, the Sony scene is uh, whenever Griffin goes down in the basement, uh, uh, Oh, okay. The, the, the last the last scene with the group of friends that's on the Sony. Right. So, uh, it's funny the Sony Sony's now known for like their low light like oh, like my A7S that thing is like sees in the dark basically. Really? Yeah. Uh it's a different it's not like a prosumer camera. It's it's like a like a mirrorless DSLR but yeah. Gotcha. It's, it's, did you uh did you think about at all like trying to film on like a DSLR or something like that to try and have the video quality slightly higher and have a little more control over things or did you want to keep it as real as possible i want to make it as real as possible and um, that's like another thing you know uh i i didn't want people to kind of point out it's like this is a group of kids why would they have a camera or why would he have a camera that's be able to look you know this crisp and everything else and i didn't want to have to go into post and just you know have to dumb down everything on it and try to make it look you know like grainy and stuff i wanted to make it look like you know this is is this i want people to i want people to think you know is this real or you know what what's the deal what's the story behind this you know i wanted people to be pulled into it because i mean you know you look at facebook and twitter and stuff it's all filled with all kinds of people filming stuff on their smartphones it's this kind of quality and stuff 
Right. And I, I guess that's sort of one of the decisions to make the aspect ratio as you did. It's kind of more of a square aspect ratio too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just to like, uh, talk, like talk about like the camera again, but like, I guess you don't want that exposition line either of like, this is my new camera with matching gimbal and proper yeah. audio, audio gear. So yeah, I appreciate that. Like of just trying to capture something in camera and not leaving a lot for post, but, uh, mm. I do want to ask a bit about post just like, uh, you know, like about, uh, decisions that you make and made in the editing bay and, or like, was there like, once you got the distribution deal, did they want anything done like to the color? Did they like take it and treat it? Or like, did you have to get like a mix done or do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. The, uh, probably the, the, well, the one thing that kind of threw us for a loop is because most found footage films, you know, they, they're, you know, like you look at, uh, uh, wreck and, you know, some other foreign found footage films, you know, they all have, you know, subtitles to them. They're not dubbed. Right. And, uh, one of the requirements was an M and E track and we're like, uh Oh, we don't <laughs> have that. No. <laughs> so we, so we had to spend from February to July of 2017 recreating every sound effect for the entire 74 minute film really so you did like sort of a budget foley Foley. kind of thing yep so and that was that was very eye-opening i realized that i do not want to be a foliage artist so really i i actually love foley i find it so fun like i've done foley on on a few things i i I like audio is kind of like a background before Mm -hmm. film for me yeah i just i find it fascinating just like yeah you can just get some eggshells and some of this or like the fact that uh like indiana jones the ark of the covenant the sound of the ark of the covenant coming off is just a toilet seat lid coming off with like reverb it's hilarious to me so for me like I love uh, like I love that world, so uh, I kind of want to dive into a bit that with that, so you can talk a bit about like how you did the foley for I get it's for foreign distribution. I'm I'm assuming. Yeah, and I don't think they've quite reached that point yet to where someone's picked it up to, to dub it quite yet. But uh, when it does get to that point, uh, probably one of the the quirkiest things that's in the uh, the film. Uh, well. I'll just back it up a little bit. Uh, for most of the stuff in the film, we tried to uh, go back to those same spots and get those same sounds. Right. And, and I, yeah, I mean, you I can't replicate access, it. Yeah. I didn't have access to the house. I mean, we didn't have, I mean, we don't have a sound studio or anything like that really close by. I'm sure I could have maybe got a hold of some musicians or something like that. That was just going to be a pain. So we filmed everything on that camera. We just recorded the video and just took the audio off of it, so it still sound you know realistic. That's so, so cool. I, I find yeah. that so cool. And then like just doing it all from scratch with that. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting, yeah, man. It, Did you film like any behind the scenes put out online? Like I feel like that's people might want to watch some of that. Yeah, we uh, we actually uh, well on the DVD we have uh, ten minutes of special features, and you can get the DVD on uh, Amazon and other platforms right now. And we're currently working out a deal to try to get a Blu-ray release. And whenever that comes out, it'll have a director uh, commentary on it. Plus, it'll have 20 minutes of behind the scenes and stuff like that, outtakes and stuff. Okay, but, nice. Uh, so this is the set you're talking about? The uh, yeah, blood coming yeah. out of the ceiling? Yep, that was a, a fake room that we had built to the like the same specs, popcorn ceiling and stuff like that. I had contractors build. And... Uh, 
<clears throat> so whenever we shot the scene, I panned up and there wasn't anything going on. Everyone just had to act like there was blood coming from the ceiling and, right. you know, it was actually, and then do it later. And, uh, we matched it up the, the try to match up the lighting and use the same flashlights and stuff. And it blends it together. It look really great. Well. Yeah. You would never know. And that's just, just a trick, right? Everything's a trick oh, yeah. with, with oh, film. Yeah. Yep, that's right. <laughs> yeah, this, this magician smoking mirrors. Exactly right. I I say I always say scotch tape and popsicle sticks. Like just out of frame, it's 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 falling off the rails. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, but back to the foliage thing. Uh, probably the coolest thing though with that was um, I, in the film. I have a kiss scene with uh, Andrea. Uh, well, since I'm married now and stuff, I needed a kiss <laughs> sound. So whenever they finally get to the point to where it is in foreign markets and they dub over our voices, they'll be seeing me kiss Andrea, but the sound is actually me kissing my wife. So uh, you could have just kissed your hand, dude. <laughs> I, I could have, but I wanted to have that, you know, a little bit of realistic aspect. And it's a funny story to be able to tell people. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like how many guys do you know that, you know, that has a video of them kissing uh, a girl and the actual sound is them kissing their wives. How right. Many guys you know I guess that? not. So, <laughs> That's might a funny stuff. <laughs> That's funny. If you ever get a chance to do it, you should do it. It's it's pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, back on to the uh, post production at all, but the uh, did you have to do anything with the mix itself, like the actual sound you captured, the actual like the stuff we're hearing now, like. Did anything have to get captured there or like or mixed there? And uh, like, was there any like QC stuff like with distribution or was that kind of like an easy thing to go through? Uh, there were some things we had to do. Actually, uh, the, the final thing I did for the film was uh, certain, uh, oh, I would say, uh, how, how would I say, oh, different platforms, especially VOD platforms and foreign platforms. Apparently they have like a, a, like an area for text and um like when we got the report back there was like all these different flags and i was like well you know there's no like on-screen text in this stuff and they said no you gotta if we have those evidence placards they said no you gotta redo those and i'm like oh damn it <laughs> so we oh, had to really? go back through I had to go back through and actually do all those little evidence placards again and film it so it was inside that that frame Oh man, that's brutal. Yeah, I was like, oh my god. But I mean, it worked out. I mean, uh, you know, we're on iTunes, uh, Amazon Prime, and Microsoft Store, and like, you know, all, Google Play Store. So we're on all those digital platforms and stuff. So yeah, that's something else I want to talk about. Just like, so movie comes out like uh, it's been out for about, oh, about a year now. You'd say or yeah, 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 yeah. a year. Well, uh, the year in November. Year in November. Perfect. And, and like, uh, you know, like what kind of marketing, like you want to talk about marketing? Cause like, I don't know, just like from my own personal experience, just like doing marketing stuff, it, it's like fucking tough. You know, you're trying to convince people to watch something when they have unlimited options on Netflix or even on Amazon, like, you know, like Amazon's got a lot of selection, but they also have like, you watch man in the high castle and that's like amazing. So like, it's tough to get people to like, you know, take a mm -hmm. chance, you know? So I don't know if you want to talk about strategy yeah. of marketing, what you guys did. Basically, uh, well, with this film, you know, we, we started it in 11 and finished it in 13 and then took us from 13 to, let's see, in 
let's see, thir- let's see, after 13, we went to the film festivals, tried to do film festivals 14, no success, went to the American Film Market 15, <clears throat> signed our deal in 16, and then finally came out in 17. So there was all these people who had heard about the film and all this was like building, and especially local support. And uh, whenever people found out it was coming out, because, man, I got all the time people want to know, hey, can I see your movie? Can you just burn me a copy? I'm like, no, I can't can't do that right now. <laughs> right. It's tough not to. Do you yeah. want to kind of be like, yeah, yeah sure, just just yeah. take it. So, uh, so and plus we did uh, three screenings. We had 220 people come to, well, 110 each night come to two screenings in Vincennes, Indiana. Then we had 99 people actually come to the uh, movie theater in Evansville, Indiana and buy tickets to see it. So uh, there were some people who had actually already seen it and they were just telling their friends about it and stuff. But, and that uh, helps, like, yeah. just small stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. so that, that really helped. So as soon as people found out it was coming out, people started pre-ordering it and it just shot it up there. And then, you know, I started talking to local media and then, you know, doing podcast interviews. And there's another fake room seen here. My uh, space. Yeah, yeah I was, was like fifty-seven. My my thing paused for a second, but oh, I think you. I think I don't know where where you're at, but I think I'm close to where you are. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the marketing of it, and that's just like I don't know, it's still such a mystery to me in in some respects. And like again, like to talk about what we we're talking about off the air, but just like the goal of the podcast, trying to like connect with other indie filmmakers and talk about like what worked and what's not working, and and it's it's also just kind of an ever-changing game. Like, have you done, like, has the distribution company done much with, uh, like, ads? Have you tried, like, Facebook ads, Twitter ads, Instagram? Have you have you messed with that at all? Or, like, I know uh, Amazon. I've done, a, I've done a few Facebook ads just pretty much to promote the, uh, the signing events that I've done and stuff. I would, you know, specifically target the area that it was going to be in and just, you know, do it that way through Facebook ads. Uh, we uh, we did an ad in uh, I paid for an ad in Scream magazine. They also did a review of the movie in Scream magazine, which is like, uh, well, Fangoria is back now, but uh, at the time it was the number one horror magazine, at least as far as I think as far as it being out there worldwide. Um, and then our distributor they also pulled out an ad, but they you know they put all the other films in there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of you know you got to sell yourself with the movie. And yeah, I mean, yeah, you, that's you can't true. Be afraid. You, I mean, you can't just make something and expect your distributor to, you know, come in and, you know, put an ad during the Super Bowl or anything like that. Not unless you I have mean, the rock in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to you got to make sure that whenever you make something that you're going to be able to promote it yourself too because if you just make something and distribution company picks it up and you're like okay cool you know now we'll just wait for the checks to come in it does not work no that it never way. it never works eh no, um, you got you got to get out there and you know rattle the bushes and stuff exactly um a, a lot of people talk about lately just like when you're making indie film like you should be thinking of like even writing it like you should be thinking of like an audience like what's your hook like how are you gonna like trying to design a movie around an audience or things like that did you guys think about that when you made it or was this just a idea and story you had and then you thought about marketing and stuff after um i really thought that it would speak to like you know the uh like millennials specifically because you know we're all kind of you know reality based you know being as far as being entertained you know we like i mean 
like, you know, people watch the Kardashians, people watch, you know, stuff like that. You know, people like reality-based stuff. I mean, even competitions are, you know, reality-based anymore. You yeah. know, I mean, like Face Off or, uh, you know, uh, Skin Wars. I mean, it's all kind of reality-based. So I felt like, uh, you know, a film like this is like shows like how, you know, how kids in this age group, how they actually talk and, you know, all that stuff like that. So we thought that, you know, it'd speak to that audience. Yeah. And I think that's, that's also important that you're going after your key audience in that sense. Um, I just want to make sure I'm at the sort of the right part, but I, I, I kind of just went past the part with the, uh, the officer being, uh, kind of executed there. And, uh, the, the way that was sort of shot, I th- thought that was kind of interesting with the glare and then the the glare kind of like when he pops on his light and seeing the reflection and having that all play out in kind of one shot. Um, I, just, I don't know if you want to talk about blocking that and how many takes that maybe took or... Yeah, we actually, the the, uh, the dash cam was actually not even set up in the squad car. It was actually in my dad's pickup truck, so that was oh, kind really? of funny. But yeah. And uh, the cop wasn't actually in the vehicle. That was all done in post. And uh, we just kind of, you know, layered the shot of him in the squad car on top of the uh, the plate of the uh, the unlisted owner coming, walking up to the car. And then just, you know, faded out the opacity, added a yellow tint to it to make it look like, you know, he... Uh, that was actually the only scene that we actually had, like, all the sound effects in it are uh, were created. They weren't natural. So that was, I guess we, we had a little bit of experience in that before we had to do the whole m track, but that was the only scene we actually did that in. But, uh, but yeah, so we kind of plated that. And basically I was in the, uh, the passenger side of the truck, Brent was driving, and then when Brent would pull up, I would get out of the passenger side and walk around to the driver's side, and Brent would have it blocked up through the little viewfinder, and he would say, okay, now have Levi step out. So I'd tell Levi to step out, and he'd say, okay, now have him walk. And he's like, okay, you need to have him go right. You need to have him go right. You need to stay in the frame. Go right. And then once Levi get up to the vehicle, he'd say, all right, now run the sickle over it. And then he'd tell us to shake. So then we'd shake it, and then I'd spray the fake blood on the window. Wow. So, that's, that's a lot of yeah. choreography just to pull off the shot. I mean, it works well. Like, it looks good. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fun. Um, going back uh, just a little bit when you are talking about, like, the almost I guess attrition you would say of like you filmed this thing and then you waited a couple of years before it ever you know kind of came out like do you want to talk about just like the emotional stress of that like like what was going through your head when this was happening were, did, were you hopeful the whole time or was it like were you like fuck what did I just do <laughs> there were I mean nothing's more frustrating than knowing that you created something that you know other people are going to enjoy and you know they'll enjoy it it's just you know you're trying to break through that glass ceiling and you just can't quite get there and I remember the first time like we uh, after we were done with everything because we did the uh, focus group showings in Vincent's and we found out a lot of people wanted to know more about the family of five so we actually went back and wrote a beginning sequence for the movie, a new one, because it originally just opened up with me, Tyler, and Gavin just acting like douches. And um, so we went back and added that beginning scene, and I think it really set the tone for the movie. Yeah, but I think I got, think that that start scene is, is it's good. Yeah. It's the equivalent of like showing the shark, start of the movie kind of thing, you know? 
Yeah, we kind of pulled an Alfred Hitchcock and like killed everybody in the main cast, like in the very first, you know, right off the bat. You know, it's like everyone you meet, they're all dead now. So sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's good but, though. Uh, it's like everybody yeah. dies. It's good. Yeah. But uh, so uh, after we got that done and everything, I was like, well, you know, need to start submitting to film festivals, and the first ones were uh, probably in I think late 13, early 14. And uh, we weren't getting into some of those. And they were kind of bigger ones, I think, too. So then I started submitting them to some smaller ones, lesser known ones. And uh, I was at Six Flags in St. Louis, actually, in line. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm probably going to get into at least a couple of these. And the deadline was, like, close to the day we were going out there. I remember being in line for the Batman ride and looking at my phone. I'm like, well, I didn't get into three. That's great. Oh, and it's no. Just like, you know, yeah, it's like kind of just ruined my day a little bit. I'm like, geez, I think it was my birthday too. I think oh, that's no. what we were out there for. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, this is, yeah, I was like, man, I was like, this sucks. So and then, uh, so then we went out to L.A. I think in uh, yeah in late '14. Went out to L.A. and heard about the American film market out there. A guy who was actually doing the uh, the back studio backlot tour is the one that had, I, told me about it because I was asking him about classic because they used to have the original family opera set there and they tore it down and uh, i didn't know they tore it down because i was looking for it, the stage i'm like i know i can't see the set i just want to see the sound stage and say right behind there is where that set's at right the guy told me he tore it down i'm like well i made a movie and he told me i should come to the american film market so i researched it and found out that it was like next week and i'm like well crap i don't have any time to prep for this so i right. went a whole nother year oh geez and when i write yeah, and then so whenever I finally went out to AFM, like, you know, some of the different uh, companies I talked to, like, I'd pitch them the movie, and they were like, oh, dude, this is a great concept, you know, because you have to do, like, you know, they're like, okay, give me your 30-second pitch, give me your two-minute pitch, or whatever, and uh, then it, like, as soon as I'd say at the very end, I'd say it's a found footage film, they'd go, eh, sorry. Really? Yeah, I had one guy tell me that the, uh, one of their biggest clients were the Chinese and the Chinese look at it like they don't understand what found footage is and I'm like well that sucks I guess that's so, strange though like I don't know I could yeah. see like how that would go over like well in, in yeah. kind of the Asian markets and, and whatnot but maybe 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 it'll click eventually and maybe Endless Owner will be like the new you know the new thing over there you never know <laughs> yeah it's strange I, I, I made a movie a while like 10 years ago and I got like this Japanese distribution deal and they like, they completely redesigned the poster with like, there was, it was like an Asian female lead in the film, like completely like redesigned it with her over top of it. And I was like, Whoa, that's cool. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. The, the Korea's kind of got like a lot more, um, horror. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. Like horror, even influence. I could see it like playing well there. And, uh, like, even just like uh, with subtitles, like I, f I feel like it, it would play fine oh, there, you know. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you. This is the Sony. He knows how it went out of focus whenever he was going down the stairs. Right. And it's kind of going in and out right here. Yeah, this is all the the Sony, and uh, we get a lot of compliments on that facial recognition also in there in the film. The uh, uh, tracking, th like yeah. square. Yeah, it shows that there's somebody in the basement. And was I that think. done in post, or but, uh, was that just like? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's done in post. Actually, some it, it's it's kind of hard to believe this, but there's actually some like hardcore found footage fans that uh, that will dock you for camera graphics. Like, say, you know, really? it's good, but you know, 
camera graphics took me out of it because you can't have camera graphics on your thing. And we actually put a little thing in here just because we knew that we were going to get some flack over it from hardcore found, found footage fans to where it says, uh, it's on Griffin's camera, I think. And it says recording, uh, I think it's, I can't remember, recording interface or GUI or something like that. I can't remember right. exactly what it said, but it's kind of like, well, this camera can do that. <laughs> right. No, it's true. And it, to be fair, like the uh, when they do like in movies when they do show like the POV of like a DSLR or, or something, and you're like, that's not what that camera looks like. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, like I think I don't know with a found footage film, there's a bit of like leeway you want to a lot with it because for one, it's it's another tool to kind of tell the story, right? Like mm-hmm. you can you can tell information dates battery why something's happening right. low power so it's i just look at it well, like eh, it's just another story making or storytelling tool and see and another thing too that it really you know found footage doesn't get enough credit for is that found footage films if they're true found footage they do not have a musical score and mm. the number one thing you hear about horror movies is watch a horror movie with the sound off or with the <laughs> well you know if they took the music out what it'd be like yeah it doesn't work like and it's like they all suck, you know, and, you know, you look at, you know, like Paranormal Activity, Blair Witch, you know, Unlisted Owner, and they do not have a musical score and they still are creepy. People still get creeped out by some of the things in the films and stuff. And, it, you know, it makes it, I mean, there's jump scares, stuff like that. And, you know, in these films, and I just don't feel like it gets enough credit because technically, you know, these films have a, a very, very, very major tool taken away from them because they do not have a musical score that kind of hypes it up. It's that's and, that's a really good point. Yeah, because that's like uh, having like I made a short uh, a little while ago, and like the score was a huge part of telling the story because there's no talking in it. But uh, yeah, like you are you are telling the audience how to feel with music. And by like stripping that out, yeah, you, you do have to like, you know, like come up with that in other in other ways without music, which is tough. Like No Country for Old Men, I think is the best example of like you know something with no music the entire time, but keeping that tension. Yeah. But uh, yeah, th- I think that's a great point because yeah, you can uh, like I don't know, like just again like hold the hand of the audience and tell them what what to feel and how to feel and when to feel it with music. Right. And, and I think that's kind of like with the battery where it comes into play, because especially with that ending sequence you just saw with Griffin trying to open the door, you know, the battery's running out and the killer's foot's right there in front of the camera. And you're like, OK, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You know, the battery's going to die. What am I going to be able to see what's going to happen? You know, and that that kind of added to that instead of having the music, you know, almost like a Jaws sound of dun, 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 you know, like yeah. what's going to happen. So. I think that kind of helps that and a little, I mean, where you get one tool taken away, you have another one to kind of help, you know, that along a little bit. There's also nowhere to hide with, without music. Like with music, you can kind of hide in certain spots. You can have lulls, like you can have mm-hmm. like long, you know, shots of somebody like literally Star Wars, Luke looking mm-hmm. at the two sons. You have that amazing score mm-hmm. swell, you know, it doesn't work if there's no music. It's just the sound of the desert. <laughs> yep. that's 100% right I mean I'm like also I love John Carpenter horror and I love some of the scores that John Carpenter has made but I I see your point too and I think I think it's a valid point of uh, you know like it of being um, 
like making the found footage more like believable without a score. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like I said, I don't think it gets enough recognition for that because you're actually making something without a score and you're making it, you know, still scary. Yeah, exactly. Just like, you know, the ending sequence there of Chris walking down into the basement and the door closes behind him and you just feel that tension of this is creepy. What's going to happen? You know, he can't see anything. We've already seen what happened to all these other people, you know, and it's like, you know, if you had a, if you were shooting it traditionally and you had the sound, you know, and the, you know, the music and everything to it, you know, you could add, you know, you'd have that tool to add more suspense. But, you know, whenever he's going down there without any sound, you know, you have to really, you, have, you also have to really rely on your actors to kind of convey that even more so. I think, you know, in traditionally shot films, you know, you can take weak acting and kind of lean a little bit more on the, you know, the musical score of what's happening and stuff and kind of set the mood. Whereas in found footage, it's all like your actors are the mood. You have to make sure you nail it. Exactly. Um, so I got credits rolling on my end. Uh, I'm, I'm yep, sure you here. got stuff. Um, real quick before everything ends, just to want to thank you for coming on the podcast for one, and uh, just also you can let people know uh, where they can find the film or if they can follow you on social media or follow the film on social media. Just uh, let people know where they can find you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can follow Unlisted Owner on Facebook if you just search Unlisted Owner. Uh, you can follow Unlisted Owner also on Twitter, at Unlisted Owner. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and uh, my Twitter handle is Mr. Jed underscore Brian. You can also follow me on Instagram, and my tag on Instagram is Mr. Period Jed Brian. Um, and if you want to check out Unlisted Owner, it, apparently if you're in the United States, you can watch it free on Amazon Prime. Uh, you can, uh, I'm pretty sure you can rent it on Amazon Prime in Canada, the U.S., and also in the U.K. as well. Um, you can also get the, uh, the film on uh, DVD through uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, FYE, uh, Turner Classic Movies, um, several different uh platforms there and then also uh some other vod you can watch it on itunes google play store and if you have an xbox you can get it through the microsoft store which i think is pretty cool that's as awesome soon as i found that out yeah as soon as i found that out i'm like uh bought <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, real quick too just like uh, what's next on the horizon do you have any other projects kind of slated or are you hoping to get anything made you want to talk about just to you know get it out yeah. in the ethos yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a, actually there's an Easter egg in Unlisted Owner uh, that I forgot to mention, but there's actually a DVD case for that film, Meth House, that trailer, the teaser trailer I'd made that you can check out on YouTube. Um, but uh, that would be a project I would like to do next, possibly. I have a few others that, you know, I've kind of been thinking about working on stuff, but it just kind of depends on, you know, what we get back from Unlisted Owner or if we can find investors that want to see what we can do with a traditionally shot film next time. Nice. Uh, all right. So again, thanks for coming on the, the uh, podcast, Jed, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back for Meth House and uh, sure. or any other projects you uh, you have going on. All right. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on, and good luck with all your guys' future projects. I'm really interested in seeing them. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Lost Commentary, on Instagram at Raiders of the Lost Commentary, 
and like us on Facebook. I'll be back.